0: Fall Line by Michael Garon, Episode 22 Leaving the Company At the point at which I fired Gary, the company was completing its fifth year of operation. We'd grown by leaps and bounds and now had a team of about 200 professionals. We were beginning to make serious money. We were rewarding ourselves as partners with significant pay. I'm not talking about Wall Street money here, but we were making about twice the salaries of our other senior staff. At least we were when times were good, and many times were good. But this period included bad times as well. George and Ryan's mischief had hurt my business, and I was doing double time to keep my work afloat. I had to scurry to restore order and rebuild staff. Also, the Republican Tea Party was taking joy in shutting down the federal government. Those shutdowns included us, the federal contractors. While the feds eventually paid themselves for their time off, they never paid their contractors. The lack of dependable cash flow led us to lay off staff twice that year. Fortunately, they were the only layoffs we ever had to do. Also, our overt success attracted the ire of our competitors. One of them called the Inspector General at the Environmental Protection Agency with an anonymous tip. They falsely reported that we were encouraging timesheet fraud. The police came swarming in. They flashed federal badges and ordered everyone into lockdown. They made everyone swear not to divulge the nature of the interrogations they were about to endure. Then they took each staff member one by one to drag confessions out of them. There was no substance to the allegations, so there was nothing to divulge. But the heavy-handed tactics made some employees wonder if something bad was actually going on. My partner Dave, who lived as principals, was particularly incensed by the way the inspectors treated the staff. They finally broke camp, acknowledging that their onslaught had not uncovered a single shred of wrongdoing. Dave insisted that they apologize and tell the staff that they had received a bogus tip. Adding the final insult to injury, they refused his request. They said, just because we didn't find anything doesn't mean you didn't do anything wrong. A long series of difficulties like these punctuated this period for me. So when Nancy said she was pulling the time to move overseas card, I met it with a sense of relief. She let me know we were moving to the distant island of Madagascar. Having recently been through the process of removing our partner, Tom, I knew I needed to think long and hard about how I wanted to structure my own departure. I also realized how little I actually understood about our partnership agreement. I needed a better understanding of how stock works in a privately held company. So I did what anyone would do in a similar situation. I lawyered up. What I learned was I didn't have a leg to stand on. I held one of four voting seats on the board, and I owned 18% of the outstanding shares. Still, once I left, the remaining board members were free to revalue the company. They could, for example, decide to quadruple the number of common shares. Then they were free to award all the new shares to themselves. Doing that would dilute mine to a fraction of their value. And there were lots of other moves they could easily make and to effectively deal me out. It appeared I could add my departure to my growing list of problems I needed to confront. But this one loomed larger because it threatened the main thing I had set out to achieve, TFI. Total financial independence was slipping from my grasp. And so was my dream of being well-off enough to get back to my writing. In the end, I sucked it up and let everyone know I was keeping my commitment to Nancy. I told them I planned to leave the firm. I said I would resign my board position, but I planned to keep my stock. And I never let anyone know what I'd learned about how vulnerable I was. I figured if they wanted to go that way, they could figure it out on their own.